Today we'll be going over our second um, identity as part of a church family. Uh, Marcus will be co-teaching it with me. Marcus is a pastor in training with us. So, yay Marcus! That's great. Uh, so let me, let me pray and then we'll kind of just get started and get, get right in. Uh, Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you we did get to come together and talk about what it looks like for us to be a church family and how you have called us to be um, a group of people to, here on planet who represent you and you, you actually made us into a family. Uh, yeah, we love that. Thank you for um, just talking church in that way. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. All right, let's start off with a little bit of a Bible trivia. If you don't know, that's totally okay. It's just this is more for funsies. Uh, can someone g- kind of give me a guess on how many times you think the Bible uses the word Christian to refer as who we are? Just throw a number out. I won't make fun of you. That's wrong, because I didn't know either. <laughs> Guestimate. No one will make fun of you. Except for Ken. Ken makes one of the people. Maybe Ken. I was about to go with trick question. Like, you, you know this. I know this. Uh, yes, I yeah, Ken's not on the play. Saying zero. Zero times. Any other guesses? It's only like six or seven, but I. Six or seven? Okay. Uh, how about this? How many? Uh, guess how many times the Bible uses the word disciple? Uh, 137. 137. <laughs> okay. 138. Okay. Price is right. <laughs> <laughs> Any other guesses? All right, all right. Last one. Uh, how many times the Bible uses the word that translates into brothers and sisters? I'm not going to try to pronounce the word Greek. Oh yeah, I know. One nothing. Yeah, fifty. 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 Any other guesses? Are you just making these yeah. up? <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I did not Nobody know any of these. Yeah, that's right. All right. Here we go. You y'all ready for this? The word Christian they use a whopping three times. The word disciple is used 240 times, so you guys were a lot closer. And Jane was really close on the Christian. Uh, you said, yeah, zero is close to... Yeah, zero is super close. And six is super close. Yeah. But the most frequently uh, word used to describe the church, which is, comes in at 342 times, uh, which is translated as brothers and sisters. So that is the most common word the Bible uses to describe God's people um, in the New Testament. So... When we're talking about what it means to belong to Jesus, we are talking about belonging to a family. I think that's one of the first fill in the blanks. So when we are talking about what it means to belong to Jesus, we are talking about belonging to a family. Because that's the most common word that we see the Bible uses. And um, I I do want to draw a little distinction here. I'm actually going off script a little bit. So a lot of times the Bible uses metaphors to describe something that's going on. But when, Jesus, when, when the Bible uses the word family, it's actually not a metaphor. It's not saying church is like a family. It, it Honestly, it's actually church is family. It's actually quite literal. So it, there, there's a little bit of distinction. He's, um, the Bible does not use a metaphorical term to describe who we are. Um, so this, I'm, I'm going I'm to kind of show, show you what I mean by that. All right. Um, because the, the image that the word, or even the image to describe uh, church is a family. Well, a lot of times is we see the Bible use the word adoption. Um, so one of the most common words used to describe becoming a follower of Jesus is adoption. I think that's the second film in the blank. One of the most common words used to describe becoming a follower of Jesus is adoption. So this is where I kind of get the whole idea that be, us being a family is not a metaphorical term. It's a quite literal term. So this is what I mean. I'm going to kind of go through a few passages. You guys don't have to flip through them. If you guys want these passages later, I can give them to you. Uh, Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, it says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, 
he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Romans 8.23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Galatians 4.5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Uh, because you are a son, God has sent you his spirit, and we cry out, Abba, Father. And Romans 8.15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So, you kind of see like a repeated theme throughout the New Testament when Paul talks about us, the reality. When, when, you, when you trust Jesus, you get God as your heavenly Father. Um, we are, you are adopted into God's family. So when Jesus paid for your sins fully, that you gain Jesus' perfect righteousness, that you're made right with God, which is kind of what we talked about last week, um, you, you also get God as your Father. Um, so kind of the, uh, the way we even talk about a lot of times is when Jesus is standing in Matthew uh, 3.17 when he was getting um, baptized, the sky opened up, the, the sun came down, Jesus standing in the water, and, and God the Father said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. That is now true for all of us, that we are God's children, and he's looking at us, you are my son, you are my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Um, and that's it, and that's final, because it, there's no take-backs, just because when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished, it is done. No take-backs, like, we get, we get Jesus' righteousness, it is done for good, we cannot earn it, we cannot lose it, that's the beauty of the gospel and the grace that comes with it, you cannot lose it. Ryan, got a seat. You're good. All right, I'm going to start a little over. I'm going to do a little Bible trivia. Uh, we're kind of, we just talked about. But now we know the answer. Yeah, now we know the answer. We're all going to quiz Ryan. I'm just kidding. Uh, we've been just talking about church as a family. I'm going to give you the first two blanks so you can fill them in. The first one is when we are talking about what it means to belong to Jesus, we're talking about belonging to a family. Belonging to a family. And the second one is, one of the most common words used to describe becoming a follower of Jesus is adoption. Alright, so we're going to get into the last, the second part. So just, what Jesus, the righteousness that we get from Jesus, it is done. Jesus, it is finished. There are no more takebacks. Um, and when you're adopted into God's family, you get God as your father. And you also get new brothers and sisters. When you get God as your father, you also get new brothers and sisters. So in no situation when a kid gets adopted into a family and is now it is it isn't also now sibling with the other kids in the family. That's never been the case. You know, it's like it, like that is part of the adoption process. You get new mom and dad, and then the siblings are now your brothers and sisters. That is also very much true for us. Um, which is why over and over again you see the Bible describe um, the, the church as brothers and sisters. Is that kind of starting to make sense now? That's why it's been used, what, 342 times? <laughs> Hypothetically? Did you count all that, or did you... Well, uh, I counted it by hand, yeah. Okay. No, I definitely didn't. I definitely didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering problem. how you, came, how you find it, that. I just did it the hard way. Um, so we kind of... Uh, so because we're made right with God, and we're also made right with, made right with one another... That's also done. So when, when we're adopting into God's family, we're now brothers and sisters, and we're made the sin between us is also taken care of. That's also done. Never take backs. 
so not God. So God not only justifies us, He also familyfies us. We may or may not have made up that word. Maybe. We just cannot. Com- we cannot. We cannot find a good theological term that adequately describes what we want to do. So we just made one up. Uh, he ju- not only God justifies us, He also familyfies us. We absolutely made that word. So word it's up. a made up word. You can spell it how. It yeah, true. and don't use it in public because people are going to look at you all weird. Um. Now, to get a little bit personal, like, uh, I know when we use the word family, it can bring up all sorts of different kind of emotion. It just depending on what kind of family background you, know, you came out of. Um, so maybe some of you guys had a horrible family. Maybe some of you guys didn't have much of a family at all. Maybe you have lost um, close ones way before it's, you know, they're, they're supposed to be gone. And then just maybe your family caused you more harm than good. So when we start to use the word family, you don't immediately get really excited about it. You don't think it's a beautiful thing. That is actually very much true for me. Um, because for me, I grew up in a really busted up home. My dad was verbally and physically abusive to my mom when she was alive. And pretty much they were functionally divorced. So I kind of, when we talk about church as a family, when I first heard that term, I'm going, that's, you say that as a good thing, but I'm telling you it's a bad thing. Um, it was over these over years, that's when I finally started to, to realize um, even the worst and most absent of families only reinforces the idea that you and I were made to exist in healthy, beautiful family. So even, even though I never had that, I longed for it all my life. And I, when, I, when I finally experienced it in the context of a church, I'm going, this is what it's supposed to be. Got it. I just, I just got a picture of what it is it's supposed to be because through God's people, I finally got to see what family is supposed to be. Um, so in my case, the church was meant to step in what my... What, what I never got to have was supposed to step in what my biological family is supposed to represent. So what, as we kind of talk about this week, I, I just I at least want to kind of bring that up in case you guys do come from a hard background. Family is not a good thing. Um, my plea to you is, sure, but let, let the church be a, be a representation of what it's supposed to be, even if you come from a tough background when it comes to family. So, yeah. Yeah, so uh, what exactly is church family? Uh, I would say that there are probably... Four ways you can view um, the church, and only one of them is actually fully correct. Uh, so we'll kind of dive into that right now, uh, views of the church. Um, so church is a building. Church is a building. So this is what uh, most Americans think of church as. Um, so when we came to Knoxville, um, a lot of people uh, heard that we were starting a church, and they said, oh, like, where, where is it at? Like, where's, the where, where's the church at? Um, and so, did you say it right in front of your face? Did you tell them that? Oh, Wait, did I say? Uh, yeah, yeah. Did you, did you yeah, correct? No, it? I, I did correct. In a very snarky kind of a way. Usually, I kind of correct people in snarky ways. Usually, that's, yeah, yeah. That's how I usually do um, but yeah, so they they ask a question. Oh, like where is the church at? Um, because when they think of church, they actually think that church is a building. Uh, it's somewhere that you go, uh, or it's a building with a steeple, most likely. Um, and questions that you may ask if you view church as a building, uh, you'll probably ask the question, are the seats comfy? Or is parking close enough? Maybe are the facilities nice enough? Um, the second one, church is an event. Church is an event. Now this is mostly where uh, we get the idea of going to church. Um, usually what people mean by that is attending uh, once a week gathering or once a week service on Sundays. And while gathering as a church is very important, um, it falls short kind of the full picture of what 
church is. And questions that you may ask if you view church as an event, do I like the music or do I like the teaching? Um, is the service too long? <laughs> I love that one. Um, <laughs> um, the next one is church is an organization. Church is an organization. Now this is where many people who uh, have been involved in the church, uh, church world for a while, um, this is where they're at. Uh, the idea here is that church is a religious organization. Whose job is it? Um, is a religious organization whose job is it to dispense religious goods and services to you, the consumer? Um, and questions there, uh, people will ask are, are my needs being met? Or do they, do they ask too much of me? Or what am I getting out of this? And the last one is church is a family. Church is a family. Now this is where, uh, or this is what we would say um, is probably the most healthy view of church. The idea that church is a group of people that you belong to. Uh, it's a family. Questions here, am I fighting to be known? Am I looking for ways to serve? Am I helping us become more of a family? So, biblically speaking, uh, church is not a building, it's not an event, um, it's not even really an organization, it's, it's a family. And basically, and you know which one you have um, based on what kinds of questions that you ask um, from the previous yeah. things we just said. Does that all Does make that, sense? Yep, that was about mm -hmm. That little part, it's not a building, it's not an event, it's not even an organization, it's actually in a family, all that. Uh, that was actually really helpful when we start. Like, you will know which view you take on based on the questions you ask. Because a lot of times, like, I don't know if I like the music. I'm like, ah, man, I really think of the church as an event. That's actually what's kind of a, exposes what I truly believe. Um, so I know even just church as a family, it's kind of a really big theoretical picture. I, I want to tell you guys a, a story really quick, um, personally, from what I've seen in Colombia, uh, to kind of illustrate this whole concept of church as a family. I kind of want to bring it down from 30,000 feet to ground level a little bit. So... Uh, one of the guys in my life group, his name is Luis. Luis um, came from Mexico. He may or may not be uh, legally in the United States. I don't really know, So, but that's not the purpose of this story. But he, he came around us. We came across him um, at a park, and he, he was kind of passed out drunk. And a couple people from our sending church midtown just asked him, hey, tell me your name. Tell me your story. And they kind of start building that relationship with Luis. And he started coming around my, my life group, and we kind of got to hear story more and more that he, he really turns to alcohol to kind of deal with a lot of the depression that he's feeling because his family abandoned him in the middle of the night, one night. They just, um, his wife and two daughters have packed up and left, and he just has a hard time dealing with it, so he has a strong dependence on alcohol. But with him coming around, he got into our life group. We got to know him. We got to know his story. He got to know us. We really become really tight-knit together. He, he become a very integral part of in my life. He was a good friend of mine. Um, and I, as we started to share life more and more deeply, um, th there's a Bible verse that kept coming up because Luis was, he, he was homeless. Um, and and this, the, the, uh, the passage in 1 John 3 where it says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, talking about Jesus, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and see his brother in need, yet close his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That verse kept hammering on us as a group when we started, got to know Luis and share life with him. We're going, 
the Bible here is talking about we ought to love one another, not just in words and deed, but in, in, in deed, but not just words and talk, but in deed and in truth. Um, and we got someone in our family sleeping in a dumpster. This, this is not okay. This, this won't fly. Um, so we felt really convicted. Um, so we, we started kind of coming together with a plan. We, we, uh, we, we were able to get Luis a job. Um, we got him a kind of a duplex to kind of help him. Uh, so he's not living in a dumpster. So he's actually living in a duplex. Um, when we got him all situated, <laughs> I don't know how we overlooked this. Uh, Luis actually doesn't own anything because he was homeless. So we got him a duplex and he just in this empty duplex. Um, and we go, well, that he doesn't even have a blanket. Like, you know, we're like, we got to do a little bit more than, than this. Uh, so we, we, we want to be able to rally together as a church family. So we, we set up a gift registry at Target, um, which is interesting uh, because when you fill out a gift registry at Target, uh, it is typically almost always a wedding registry. So you got uh, spouse's first name, spouse's last name, and then name, your name and your last name. So it's like we got Luis and his last name we didn't know, so we just do Midtown. So his name is Luis Midtown, and the spouse's name is Jeff, and the spouse's last name is Sean. So we are very thankful for Target's really um, progressive outlook on family that day. So, uh, But it, it worked out well for us. So we, we got a gift register set up so other people from our, uh, from our church family can go to Target and buy things for Louis for his housewarming party. Um, and then we surprised them. You know, he, we showed up, we brought a bed, we bought furniture, we set everything up. It, it was a home. It was no longer just a cold, empty duplex. Um, and I just remember us loading in. He was he was floored. He 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 was speechless, and he just he just kept asking, "Hey, when when can we do this again for someone else? How can we how can we keep doing this? Not just for me. Let's keep doing this for someone else." And and I, I, it was that kind of that moment I started to realize. I think Luis actually understands church as a family better than I do. Um, and, and we kind of see, like I said, we just like we just started to see Jesus really work in his heart. Uh, one, and there's, there's a ton of stories I can tell you, but the one I want to uh, kind of highlight was um, after Louis Law moved in, he's been working, it's been really cool, he's still in our life group, um, we were doing like a kind of a block party for um, other homeless people at, in Colombia. Um, that was a pretty big problem in Colombia, so we want to keep serving our, our homeless neighbors uh, in, in the downtown area, and uh, whoever planned that event, I don't know who, it may or may not be me, it's hard to remember, it was many years ago, uh, forgot to provide lunch for all the volunteers that were there. Uh, it was a pretty big oversight. So it was like noon, everyone was starving. It was like, what do we do? And then in, we saw Louise walked in with a massive, massive bag of McDonald's. Um, and then he started putting all the food out quietly so he, so no one can see him. And then he quietly snuck away. But like I saw I saw him doing that. And I walked to Louis like, Louis, what, what, did, what did you do? He's like, well, I bought 40 quarter pounders because we need lunch. And I said, no, Lu- Luis, you need the food. Take that food and f- it for yourself. You, you, you don't need to feed us. We're, we'll, we'll make it work. Like, we'll, you need the money. And Luis just responded with, you, you, you said these are my family, and my family is hungry. Why would you not let me feed our family? And I'm just like, all right, <laughs> you're right. You know, it's like, I'm going to go in the corner by myself and cry for a little while, but you do that. That's great. You know, so Lu- Luis just kept doing that over and over again because he just got such a tangible picture with church as a family. And we, in a lot of ways, we were like, man, we're trying to serve Luis and teach him that, but he turned out to be the one that's kind of really teaching us what it really looks like because he just gets it. And he's constantly inviting people in, constantly serving 
in a very sacrificial way because that's what you do for family. Um, so uh, that's kind of like, that's, that's what we're going for. We're, we're praying for that. Those are the type of stories that we see here in our city, here in Knoxville. Maybe not to that extreme, but just in everyday life. That we, we do share life deeply. We do see each other as family and go out of our way to serve one another in that way. Yeah. So, love that. That's, yeah, that always gets to me every time. I love that story. <laughs> That's a really good story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, let me tell you kind of one of the ways um, that can kind of hinder us from being that type of uh, family, that representation of family. Um, the biggest barrier to church as a family is individualism. The biggest barrier to church as a family is individualism. So uh, individualism is the air we breathe here in America. Um, so if you if you live here, uh, if you live in America, which I'm assuming all of us do, um, there's a very good chance that you're buying into individualism. Um, it kind of America kind of runs on individualism and not on Duncan. Um, so that was we really should have had Duncan. Yeah, that's a coffee for that. that. Yeah. that would have made no, more sense. Not on Duncan. Uh, here's a quote from Joseph Hellerman, uh, who wrote the book When the Church Was a Family. Um, he says this, They call it radical individualism. Uh, what this amounts to is simple enough. We in America have been socialized to believe that our own dreams, goals, and personal fulfillment ought to take precedence over the well-being of any group, our church or our family, uh, for example, to which we belong. The immediate needs of the individual more important than the long-term health of the group. So we leave and withdraw rather than stay and grow up uh, when the going gets rough in the church or in the home. Now, we can, uh, we can even see it in how, like, in how like, products are marketed to us. So Burger King had it your way, PlayStation, live in your, live in your world, playing ours, McDonald's, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Visa, it's where you want to be. Um, L'Oreal, because you're worth it. Um, so think about when you are parking, or think about when you're uh, about to park your car in a parking lot, right? So what's the thing you're looking for when you're about to go park your car? When you're about to go park your car? Shortest walk. Yep, that's it. Closest How can spot. I park yeah. to the closest spot? Um, but have you ever thought about why there are rules um, that reserve handicapped parking spots, right? It's because none of us think about that because we're so thinking about ourselves that we're not even... There might be someone else that <laughs> needs to park closer than me. Exactly. You know, like, never thought of it ever. It's like, how nope. can I get as close as possible? No, so <laughs> These handicapped spots are, like, getting in my way of that. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so they even have, now have spots for, like, expected mothers, like um, mothers who are expecting, so they have... Res- reserve spots for them, um, and it's because it's so foreign uh, to us uh, to pause and think of the needs of others uh, above our own. So since individualism is our default posture in America, it means that to practice church as a family <coughs> that our priorities need to shift. It would mean that our priorities need to shift. So before I was married, um, the people I felt responsible for was, was, was just myself solely just me, and then I got married, um, and now Mel is a part of my family. Now, if she were to say, hey, Marcus, my car broke down, I'm out on I-40, uh, no way would I go, hey, um, I'm sorry, 
can't really make it. I wasn't really planning on going out there. That's a you problem. I think that's a you problem. I think that you have to worry about that. I don't think that would fly too well with her. And that would be an awkward conversation if she figured out how to get home. (laughs) Yeah, never never would I say that. Uh, (laughs) I would... Yeah, I wouldn't say that. Basically, I would say, okay, hey, like, I'm going to get there as soon as I can, right? That's, that's what you say. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what you would do. Um, when you're a family with someone, to a certain degree, their problems become your problems. Um, similarly, the Bible uses language like bear one another's burdens, right? So, in short, that means that because we're family, there's no such thing as, hey, that's not my problem. So when we see each other in need, we don't turn a blind eye to it. Um, we care deeply for those in our family, and we seek them out. Uh, we figure out how we can post up, post up with them beneath their burden. Um, and I believe there are tons of people in our, uh, in our city um, who are absolutely exhausted having to do life alone. Um, I would love for us, uh, us as a church, to be a group of people that welcome those people into our family um, who are tired and who are heavy laden because um, that was how they were that's how we were welcomed in um, with Jesus yeah uh, now here's here's the kind of the great irony about all of this um, the more individualistic you are the more you'll be frustrated by the idea of church family and putting others uh, ahead of yourself but the more concerned and bought in you are to church family, um, the more church family will actually benefit you individually. Does that make sense? Let me, let me read that again. Uh, the more individualistic you are, the more you'll be frustrated by the idea of church family. Um, but the more committed you are to church family, the more you actually benefit um, individually. Uh, because church family in a lot of ways is very counterintuitive. Um, the, the great, it's, it's like maybe the easier way to say it is this. The less you focus on what I'm getting out of it, the more you actually get out of it. The less you focus on what I'm getting out of it, the more you actually get out of it. So here's what I mean. Uh, Discipleship happens in the context of relationships. Discipleship happens in the context of relationship. And discipleship, uh, I'm just going to define really quick. This is a really churchy word. It's just helping people take the next step towards Jesus. That's it. That's all discipleship means. Helping people take the next step towards Jesus. Um, and that happens in the context of relationship. So in the context of church family, uh, often we, when we think about growing and maturing as a follower of Jesus, uh, we, think like, we think things like reading a book or listening to a sermon. Um, and when we're thinking about like discipleship, we kind of think about like sitting across a table across someone who's probably older than you with a really epic beard, or not if they're a woman. That would be weird if they have an epic beard as a woman. That would be interesting. Uh, but, or so just sitting in a coffee shop with someone who is older, more mature than you, and then they kind of just like dump wisdom onto you, and you're trying to soak as much as you can and go, all right, now I'm more mature. Uh, well, I will say those are, those are absolutely part of um, being part of discipleship. I will say that is not a full picture of discipleship. Does that make sense? So it is, it is not, discipleship is not less than that. It, I think it's also it's more than that. So those are one. Those are one way. For us, I, I want to kind of think of this. Um, church family is the way we grow. Church family is the way we grow. 
So I love this quote also by Joseph uh, Hellermanis. He, he, yeah, the book that he wrote on the whole idea of churches when the church was a family was really, really helpful. And this is one of the, uh, the quote. It is simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. Spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. Um, so you, you may even have heard the terms of one-on-one discipleship, because uh, that's kind of what I just described in a coffee shop. Um, while we think one-on-one discipleship is, is, is fine, it, it, is, it, it works absolutely, uh, we, think, uh, we think it's, like I said, it's incomplete. We do think it's the better version of it's actually life-on-life discipleship. Life-on-life discipleship. So let's, let's take Jesus for example. So if we're going to do an example, Jesus is the good one we want to go with. Um, Jesus absolutely spends a lot of time imparting wisdom onto the 12 disciples. You see that a lot. He teaches them a lot. But I think what we miss out is the context in which when he does the teaching. So he'll, he'll tell parables, he'll do a lot of teachings, but it's never divorced from everyday normal relationship with his disciple. So let's look at Mark 9. This is what I mean. Um, Mark 9 says, and they, being Jesus and the disciple, uh, came up to Capernaum? Yeah. Sure. And when he was in the house, he asked, what were you discussing on the way? So they were taking a road trip to another city, which I cannot say correctly, and then there were arguments about something, and then Jesus asked them, so what were you guys arguing about on this road trip? We're, we're walking, what were you guys arguing about? Um, <laughs> and then the, 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 and then the disciples kind of like, they kept silent, because for on the way they were arguing with one another about which of them was the greatest. You know, so it's like, ah, busted, Jesus heard us arguing about which of us greatest, so they didn't say anything. But it was in that moment Jesus kind of speak into what it means to be greatest because he was sharing life with them. They were taking a road trip, and he go, hey, let me, I heard you guys arguing about this. Let me, let me actually teach you what it means to be greatest. It's, it's actually quite opposite than what you think it is. So even with, with all the teaching that Jesus did, it was always in the context of everyday life because he knew them, he knew what they were thinking about, what they were arguing about, and what, the correct things and correct things they believe, and he kind of speak into that. Um, so, sorry, let me see. I'm, I'm going to skip that part. Okay, um, because if we think of discipleship, um, all, all a discipleship is, it's just a meeting for coffee once a week. Um, I, can convince, I can convince someone that, that I'm a great follower of Jesus, I'm a great husband, I'm a great person in general in that context. One hour a week, I can, I can have, I have all the right answers. I can do all that. Um, I may even kind of be a little bit transparent, tell you a little bit of things I struggle with. But in general, I can convince you I'm a pretty great person overall. But if you share life deeply with me, if you kind of get the front row seat of my life, then you will just see how much I need to grow in. You know, so it's like if I, if I say, yeah, I, I need to grow in patience with just everyone, with Callie, with with people in my life, but if you share life deeply with me, you get the front row seat of that, so when Jeff says he needs to grow in patience, you go, yeah, you do, you do got to grow a lot in patience, I see it, um, so this, one of the guys in my life group, uh, so this is back when Callie were engaged, um, my brother, who was feeling super generous, wanted to buy me and Callie a TV, because he think the most important thing we need in our marriage is a good TV, right. uh, <laughs> There's no bitterness. I wanted him to buy us a wash and dry, but he wanted to buy us a TV, which is fine. So it's so I went to Best Buy. So it was just like, all right, I never, I don't own a TV. Um, I this is great. I buying a super slinky TV. He he gave me the budget and he said, I want this is what I want you to spend on. Don't spend less than that. 
So, okay. So went to Best Buy, picked out a TV that he recommended, great. Um, and then they charged the card. So like, all right, now we're gonna bring the TV out. Like, cool. Uh, and then they went back, they're like, oh, sorry, we don't, we don't have the TV. We're like, oh, okay, but you just charged it, are you just gonna ship it to me? He's like, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll ship it to you. Uh, okay, and so they, they were typing it up, or order, doing all that. Uh, and then he go, oh no. I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, well, the TV is back order for three weeks and I accidentally charged you three times on your card. So I said, you, you sold me three TVs and I'm taking home none today? And he said, yes. I'm like, can I have some money back? <laughs> you know, and he's like, yeah, that's gonna take about five business days to process the refund for those three TVs. And I was just like, Are, you gotta be kidding me. Like you, this is for real the worst customer service I've ever seen. Um, and this whole time I was at Best Buy, one of the guys in my life group was there at Best Buy with me. And he's seeing me losing my mind. Uh, and I was supposed to be the life group leader because I was, you know, he had just gone, oh, Jeff is about to lose it. Um, so I stormed out of Best Buy, got in the car, and uh, the guy's name, his name is Jacob. Jacob kind of followed me quietly and awkwardly into the car. Um, and we just sat in my car for about five minutes silent because I was so angry. I was holding this area was shaking going, I just got charged three TVs and I got none and I cannot use my credit card for the next week because it is maxed out on a TV, on TVs that I do not, I do not have. So I'm just, I was really, really pissed. And then Jacob just kind of looked at me awkwardly going, Hey man. So, uh, how's your heart right now, dude? <laughs> like, I wanted to murder him. I'm like, my heart right now wants to kill you and kill the Best Buy employee. That's where I'm at. Um, but, in that moment, he gave to kind of speak into my life. He's like, hey, dude, I get this is frustrating. I get it. That was terrible customer service. But, but you know, while we were enemies of God, God Jesus pursued us and pursued and made everything right when we were the ones in the wrong. Jesus <laughs> forgave us while we're still in our sin. That, that, is, that is the grace that you've been given. That is, that is the good news that has been covered in your life. Um, that God forgave you while you wanted nothing to do with them. While you, while you wronged him. You know, so it was like he was right there in that moment get, and speak the gospel into my life and remind me of the good news of Jesus. And I go, yes, you're right. They're just TVs. It'll be okay. And I am... Even though this was terrible customer service, the anger that I was feeling was way more than that. You know, so he get a, in that moment, disciple me, help me understand who Jesus is way better. Does that make sense? So when we say life on life discipleship, like that, those are the things that we're kind of talking about. Because when we share life deeply, we get to really know each other well, and we get to speak into each other's life um, where it needs, like where we need to kind of confront people, or we can even affirm, hey, Jeff. I have seen you grow in patience, and these are the specific things I have seen in your life because we share life deeply, which can be also incredibly encouraging life-giving. So, does that make sense? Cool. Um, so, if you guys are just kind of coming around, you'll, you'll see us, uh, you'll notice that we hang out with each other a lot. Almost borderline annoying. Um, <laughs> because, that, that, because we believe that's, that's the best way to kind of do discipleship to help each other take the next step towards Jesus is by deeply um, sharing life with one another. Um, so community is the primary context in which we grow uh, and see each other in everyday lives, uh, in everyday life. So as we go about our job, 
um, as we go about life with our family, as we celebrate, when we're disappointed, when we're excited, when we're frustrated, um, that is when discipleship happens. Um, it is an everyday life. So, any questions on that? So, I know this all that sounds incredibly, can be overwhelming in a sense of, I know we're all very busy people. It's like, man, I got so much stuff on my calendar already. How can I do what you just said? Um, I want us to kind of frame, a, take a different framework on that. So I'm not asking us to add more things to our calendar. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is add people to your calendar. Because we all have rhythms in life that we already do. We all, so like I eat lunch just about every single day. Pretty 10 for 10, like 7 for 7. Let's go with that. 7 for 7. I eat lunch just about every single week. If I can add people to that, that's better than me just grabbing lunch on my own. Does that make sense? So we get to talk about, hey, man, how's your day? I can tell them, this is, my, this is what I'm doing. I was just at Best Buy. I yelled at someone. I cussed them out. He didn't sell me any TVs. Long story. You know, so it's like we get to do that kind of stuff together. Um, so like we all go vacation together. We all, there are things that we all do. Let's add people to them. Does that make sense? So I'm not really asking us to add more. I know we're all busy. We're all Americans. We're all super busy. So let's, let's, but I want us to think in a way of, if I'm already doing this, how can I add people to it? So tonight we're watching uh, USC playing Duke in an NCAA championship. Well, no, not championship. It's a tournament. Oh, uh, it's about to be a championship. <laughs> we can watch it on our own, or we can invite people to it. You know, Other people that are already playing and watch it can come over to our house and watch it together. So these are the things I mean. So it's not necessarily add more um, events to your calendar. It's add people. So. Yeah, so um, when we get that church is a family and that um, that we grow best in the context of relationship and that we are sharing life deeply with one another, um, you know what's going to happen next. Don't take a guess. What's yeah, going to happen next? What's going to happen next? If you share life deeply with people, we see them all the time. What happens next? Oh, but, yep, that's exactly what's going to happen. We're going to get on each other's nerves. Um, we're going to be tired of each other's really bad puns. I don't know who makes puns in life groups, but somebody does. Um, we're going to get sick of each other's sarcasm. Um, yeah, we're going to find ways uh, or find things in each other that's just going to annoy the crap out of us. Um, our preferences and our conveniences um, are going to rub each other the wrong way, basically. Um, uh, and... We're going to say uh, mean things to one another, and we're going to um, fail to love and serve each other perfectly. Um, we're going to fight, and we're going to sin against each other. So let me put it this way. Um, if that stuff isn't happening, that's probably a sign that we're not really doing life together um, very closely. If we're always just nice and pleasant uh, to each other and never have conflict, that's probably evidence that we are not super close um, because families fight. Um, that's just what they do. Families fight. Um, the mark of a healthy church, uh, of a healthy church family, is not the absence of conflict, but how conflict gets dealt with. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't get fight with my barista at Starbucks. I don't. I really don't. I don't share life deeper with them enough to get in a fight with them, unless they screw my order. Then they know they're wrong. <laughs> we don't even need to fight about it. They just know they're wrong. But I get in fights with Callie all the time, because she is one of the persons I share deep, life deeply the most. You know, so the, the, the closer you grow with someone, the more likely you're going to fight. That's just the reality. So, yeah. Um, here's the way the rest of the world will deal with conflict. They're probably going to dip out, right? That's usually how the rest of the world deals with conflict. Um, they Basically, they see someone they disagree with, and they either demonize them or publicly shame them, or they just walk away from the relationship all together. Reverse back to last November. 
during the election season. If you want a practical yeah. example how the world deals with conflict or disagreement. That's very true. Um, that's why when you, um, when you look at the way the world builds relationships, they mostly befriend people that look just like them, typically. So they say, hey, like, I really like you. You remind me of me so much. That's, <laughs> I think that's why I like you. Um, the rest of the world separates and pulls out of a relationship that gets difficult or has conflict. Um, but we're called to something mark of a healthy church family is in how we deal with our conflict with one another. Uh, we don't push away from the table, we pull up to the table. Um, our baseline understanding is that what unites us, the gospel, is greater than what divides us, the conflict. Let me say that one more time. Our baseline understanding is that what unites us is the gospel. And, um, and that's greater than what divides us, that's the conflict. So we start from the premise and figure out ways to resolve conflict. When we fight, we fight as a family. Um, siblings fight very different, differently than enemies do. Siblings fight very differently than enemies do. So do you guys, do you guys have siblings at all? Does anybody have siblings? Yeah, a brother that's eight years older than me that beat the crap out of me most of my life. Which is another reason why I hate wrestling, because you practice wrestling moves on me. What? You hate that's wrestling? Terrible. Who yeah. likes wrestling in here? It's just flashbacks. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so many of you have brothers and sisters, um, and I'm sure there were plenty of times they wanted to kill you, or you wanted to kill them, vice versa. But always, well, yeah, always at the, at the end, the goal is to be reconciled, right? That, that is the whole goal of family. Um, so now someone breaks into my house and threatens to hurt Mel, that's probably a different story. I'm probably not going to try to like, reconcile with that person right there on the spot. Most likely I'm probably going to try to inflict as much harm on that person because, yeah, that's just how that works. Um, yeah, I'm probably going to go ninja crazy on them, most likely. Um, <laughs> but because we're family, we should, have, we should as a group, um, yeah, our, sorry, our goals as a family when we fight is going to be a little different than our enemies, right? Than if we are enemies, yeah. Right, than if we are enemies. So what does that look like for us to fight like a family? We talk to each other. That's what we do. When Jesus talks about when there's um, tension among us, Jesus actually put the responsibility on both sides. Um, the person that sinned and the person that was sinned against. So Matthew 5 would say it like this. Um, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and they... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So, if it's your fault, you go make it right. If it's your fault, you go make it right. Now, Matthew 18 says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So if it's the other person's fault, you go make it right. <laughs> see a thing there? Yeah, I was going to say. You, you see, see a thing? See that? You see that? So, in other words, um, whether it's our fault or not, we initiate reconciliation. Whether it's our fault or not, we initiate recon reconciliation. Does that make sense? Because that's a reflection of how Jesus approached us. Jesus reconciled us 
to to God when it was not his fault. You know what I'm saying? He he pursued us while he has he didn't need to. So that that's that's why when Jesus calls us, hey, I don't care if it's your fault or not. It is your responsibility to, to pursue reconciliation. That's a reflection of what he is doing to us, and he's calling us to remember that. So, so here's the point: don't feel like we failed. Don't feel like we failed at being church family if we start fighting or if we start disagreeing. Um, families fight, like we said. Families fight. That's what happens. Um, we fight with those we care about. We don't um, typically bother fighting with strangers. Typically, hopefully. Um, because no, there's no relationship there. Um, there's nothing there. So if anything, when conflicts arise, let, uh, let that be a sign that God is forming us into a family that we're growing close enough to fight, and now we get to work things out as a family. Uh, And ultimately, this is what God has called uh, the church to be, a family. It's a group of diverse individuals made up into a family, a group of people that genuinely care uh, for one another and want uh, good for one another. So a group of people that will fight well with one another and extend grace to one another. And all of this is going to be incredibly refreshing for our city. Uh, we get to be a small picture, uh, a small picture of heaven for our city. Um, the Bible actually says it this way: First John four, eleven through twelve it says, "Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we, if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is, His love is perfected in us." Yeah. So, Jesus basically says that uh, we love one another as church family. The, sorry. That the way we love one another as church family um, is the way that people will come to understand God's love for us. That people will see the way we love one another and be drawn to that. They'll be drawn um, to the God who, who loves them. Yeah. And we'll kind of talk more about that next month on yeah. how that actually works in the context of mission. But so, but to this week we want to set up. Um, it is important for us to be a healthy church family yeah. because. Uh, we're kind of setting up for next week, kind of a little kind of a cliffhanger. Sorry, but we did that. Um, but <coughs> the way that God's saying, the way like the way how you love one another, how you be church family one another, is actually how they're going to know me, how they're going to see me, and how they're going to see how I love them. So that's why we want to spend this week talking about this is how a healthy church family looks like, how we love one another, how we deal with conflict, how we serve one another, to go out of our way to buy forty double cheeseburgers for one another, you know. Um, those are kind of the ideas. So, any questions so far? Good. So, we're going to spend the next probably 15 minutes. We're going to highlight a couple of distinctives. So, we kind of didn't do this last week, but we're going to start doing it for this week and next week. A little bit distinctives that kind of sets us a little bit different, um, or it may not be, but we want to highlight a couple of just, uh, things that set, set us apart a little bit. Uh, Kent, you want to teach the first one? Yeah, so um, the first one, I actually want to go into a little bit more detail on one of the passages that Marcus just read. If you got your Bible or Bible app, turn back to Matthew 18. I just want you guys to see this the way it, uh, the way it's read in the scriptures. Matthew 18, and we'll be in verses 15 through 17. Um, so I want to get one of you to read that in a second. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Before we get there... Um, so last week we talked about how one of the marks of a follower of Jesus is repentance. That one of the things that should mark us as followers of Jesus is that we see our sin, we respond to it, we repent of it. 
Um, so what Jesus gets into in Matthew 18 is what we should do if there's a follower of Jesus in our community who refuses to acknowledge that they're in sin, who refuses to not acknowledge their sin and repent of it. So will somebody read that out loud, Matthew 18, 15 through 17 for us? Ryan wants to read. There you go, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Appreciate you volunteering. You're the best. If you're volatile. Mm-hmm. Uh, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his faults just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. If, uh, But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them... Uh, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> this is a very feel-good passage. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know. Stay with us for a minute. a lot of coffee mugs. It's just like people Typically. Yeah, <laughs> put this on coffee mugs. Um, so, so here's what Jesus is unpacking, essentially. He's saying if there's a person in your community who is very obviously in sin, there's something in their life that he says the first thing that you should do is go tell that person just you and him alone. So don't tweet about it. Don't gossip to the rest of the life group about it. Identify it. Go and talk to them one-on-one and say, hey, I see this in your life. I feel like it's a problem. Are you already aware of this? Are there ways that I can help you grow in this? Like, tell me what's going on. Have you noticed this in your life? Yeah. That's the first step you take. So I think one of the pastors said this. It was super helpful. Because we're a church family, I'm going to tell you the things that people are whispering behind your back. Because I deeply care about who you are. I want to, I want to tell you the things that people are, are, they don't honestly just don't love you enough to tell you to your face. But they're whispering about it behind you. So because, um, so I, that's, yeah. yeah. So you go and tell them, just you and them alone. If, when you tell them alone, they go, hey, I don't, I don't really think that matters. That's not a big deal. I'm, why are you bringing this up? I, I'm not going to do anything about it. The next step is you take, somebody says, take one or two people along with you. So in general, the way we do ministry, that's going to look like your life group leader going with you to talk to them. Maybe one other person, if there's another person who's noticed the same thing in their life, somebody else who's in relationship with them, and you go and approach them about it. And the hope there is that when they see, oh, multiple people actually see this in my life, maybe it's a bigger deal than I think it is. Um, But it says if they still don't listen, if they still don't acknowledge that they're in sin, then what you do is you take it to the church. That is kind of Jesus' code for go and tell it to the leaders of the church so that the leaders of the church can actually address this issue. Um, It says if they still don't respond, if they still go, no, it's not a big deal, I'm not going to do anything about it, it says that we are to treat them like it says a Gentile or a tax collector. So what that basically means is if a person has shown that they see the sin in their life and they have no interest in doing anything about it, Jesus says we should treat them like they aren't a follower, in Je- a follower of Jesus because for all intents and purposes, they aren't acting like one. They're not doing the main thing that Christians do, which is repent of sin. And so what Jesus is essentially saying is if they are not acting like they are a part of the community of faith, we don't keep pretending that they are. Um, we actually acknowledge, hey, you're, you're not a part of what we're doing, but I want you to notice, Jesus says treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. How did Jesus treat a Gentile or a tax collector? He hung out with them occasionally. Now, the difference was he didn't start with the assumption that they have an understanding of the gospel. He, he treated them as if 
they don't understand the gospel. They don't understand the concept of sin. They don't see why their sin is a big deal. Yeah. But that doesn't mean he just said, oh, not talking to them. Not it's not them. an excommunication. Yeah, it's not excommunication. The problem, I think, with this process is that a lot of times churches have handled it really poorly, and they've treated it like, oh, we don't talk to that person anymore. It's actually not what Jesus says. Jesus says you treat them like a tax collector or a Gentile, which Jesus had a reputation for hanging out with Gentiles and tax collectors. Um, so, anyway, that that's a very, uh, that's something that a lot of churches just kind of don't talk about because it's not a popular thing. And in general, our culture kind of has this mindset that to love someone is to just blindly support everything that they do, no matter how good or bad it is. Um, and we don't actually believe that's true. So for yeah. me, my son Wit, if I see my son Wit doing something that is destructive to him and destructive to other people, for me to just say, oh, you know what, he's expressing himself, it's fine, it's not a big deal, that's not loving towards Wit, and it's definitely not loving towards the people that Wit is in, in relationship with. What would actually be loving is for me to go, hey, this isn't okay, we need to do something about this. And so that's the idea with church discipline. We always like to unpack it because what a lot of times happens in churches is the first time people hear about it is when it's happening and they just see it as excommunication. They get confused. There's all kinds of drama. So we want to take this opportunity to kind of explain that. Now, here's what I'll say about church discipline. In my seven years of ministry, I have almost never seen it get all the way to that last step. Usually what happens is it gets to maybe that second step where it's two or three people approaching that person and either they go, huh, I must be blind to this, I need to do something about this. Or they go, oh, I know what's coming, I'm dipping out, and they go try to be a member of a different church where nobody will call them. Well, let's see it once yeah, out of I've seven only years. Seen it, yeah, I've only seen it get all the way to the final step. Now, the first step of church discipline of like one-on-one, yeah. that happens on a daily to weekly basis, <laughs> believe it or not. Hopefully that's happening by us yeah. and to us on like a weekly basis. Yeah, because it's like, like the guys in my life group, hopefully I'm sharing life with them deeply going, hey man, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but this is, I think this is going on in your life. Like you, yeah. like I, I want to, because I care about you, I, I think, I think you, you might not realize what's going on here. You know, like we, that actually happens on a very normal day to day. So it's, it's actually, when church, when people hear church discipline, I think it's like this big <coughs> formal thing, but in reality it actually happens quite a bit. Like we, we talk to one another all the time going, Hey, did you notice that? I don't. I don't think you mean to do that, but this. Is, I think when you say this, it really hurt that person's feeling. You know that. Like we do that on a very normal basis, and I do want to draw a little distinction really quick. Um, when we say sin, we're we're not talking about addiction. We're, we're talking about like unrepentant sin that go. I know that is sin, and I just don't care. Versus, I know that is sin, and I'm I am doing my best to fight it. Help me in that, but I keep I keep going back to it, and I need help. I'm not, I'm not saying this is okay. I'm saying it's not okay, and I, I'm struggling hard. So I want to draw a distinction between addiction and just unrepentance. That, we're not talking about addiction here. So it's like if we're talking about addiction, no one, we're not, none of us will make the cut. There's, a, that makes there's sense. a difference between saying, I see that this is sin in my life, and I'm working on it, but I'm struggling, and it's slow growth and all of that. There's a difference between that and, yeah, I see this as sin in my life, but I don't really care. Yeah. It's not a big deal. That's just who I am. Does that make sense? So what this passage is talking about is the second one. It's not talking about, yeah, I know this is sin, I know this is off, I'm working on it, but I'm just growing very slowly. That, that's, that's all that is asked. It's, not, it's, it's more of when a person is cold to the reality. And the reason why we have would deal with it, first of all, because the Bible talks about sin is a big deal, that Jesus had to die for it. 
And second, the, the imagery, the reason why we take it seriously and deal with it is because, think of it even this way. If, if, we, if we have a husband who is actively cheating on his wife and his kids, and he doesn't care, he just goes home at the end of the day as, and pretend everything is okay, that doesn't, that doesn't work. Does that make sense? That, if, he, if, if that's all he chooses to operate, that, that, that's not real life. It doesn't work. We have to talk about this. We have to deal with this. We're going, you are actively cheating on, the, on our family. We got, we, this is not okay. You know what I'm saying? So that's, the, the church is like, that, that to me is a really good, helpful image of what church discipline really is. It's like, we are in relationship with one another. This is, this is happening. We cannot just pretend this doesn't, this doesn't matter. So, you guys have any questions? I know that's a big, heavy one, but I, I, I think I'd rather us talk about it um, than not, and and also even paint helpful picture of what it's supposed to be than what it isn't. Um, any questions? Good. I promise we won't get mad at you. If you have any questions? Cool. Uh, the second part is we're going to talk about um, leadership and members. Um, so when we what we had noticed uh, in the New Testament, when Paul writes any letters to churches, it's always addressed to the elders of the church he had, the elders of whatever church. Um, we, we notice a pattern. It's always to a group of leaders. It's not a singular leader. It's a group. Uh, so here at City Church, we have what we, what, uh, the nerdy term is plurality of elders, which means we have multiple leaders, multiple pastors leading the church together uh, as co-equals and not as a uh, that he, he is the first among equals what he says goes uh, we, we don't believe that we believe uh, the Arsenian church that we came out of we have 14 pastors that pastor together um, and here right now it's me and Kent being sent out we're training up Marcus um, as the third one uh, so our goal here is also to establish multiple pastors uh, it's for a couple reasons we see that's kind of the example laid out in the Bible and we see some practi- there's some practical goodness to come out of that. One, it protects the leaders in a sense of it, pre- it prevents us from burning out. It prevents us from believing the fact that everything is on our shoulders when it's not true. It's a group of us. It's a church as a family doing this together. Um, and it's just, to be honest, I don't think any of us is smart enough to know everything. So it's actually better to have a group of us thinking through things together. Um, second, it also protects the church from the leader. Because if you have one person that says and runs everything, and that person is not Jesus, and so that means they're not perfect, things can go wrong and will go wrong badly. We want to make sure that we have uh, check and balances among the leaders going, hey man, I, I think the way you're leading right now is actually not what Jesus is calling us as leaders to lead. You know, I think you're leading a very tyrannical way or whatever, like insert whatever um, disqualifications of an elder. I think, I think we need to talk about this. We, we, I think you need to repent of it. Um, and even just in general, the Bible calls all believers, not just um, um, it's, if, you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, it calls submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence because of what Jesus has done in, in your life, submit to one another. We believe that also applies to the leaders of the church. So that's why there's no, it's all co-equals as uh, leaders. Um, so that's kind of leadership structure that we have uh, to even how we, how we write sermons on Sunday. It's we have a, we have a thing called teaching team. So it's the, the, there's a primary teacher that will kind of talk through what they want to teach, but there will be a whole community of people of going, all right, this, let's talk, to, talk this through. Let's look at the Bible. What, the, what does the Bible say? What does everything say? So it's a, even that is done in a group context. It's not just a singular person. Any questions on that? On just leadership? Cool. 
part of that is just us working out the idea of church family even at a leadership level. Yeah. So it, just like we believe individualism is a barrier to church family at that level, we also believe that individualism is not a good way to lead. Um, so there will be, you will never see the title senior pastor on any of our job descriptions. We are all co-pastors, and so there's areas that I submit to Jeff in, there's areas that Jeff submits to me in, and we think the leadership functions best when it, when it functions like that. Yeah. Uh, so that's leadership, and now let's talk about membership. Um, so when we talk about church as a family, we all um, we see that the Bible, the Bible talks about that we're brothers and sisters. We're all to share life deeply with one another. Practically, the way for us to do that here in City Church is life groups. Um, so a, another way to say is uh, to be a member at City Church is to be a member of a life group. Uh, because we believe every life group should be a little Jesus-centered family on mission. Just like City Church as a whole, we are a Jesus-centered family on mission. We believe that each life group is supposed to reflect that in a very little microcosmic kind of a way uh, so to be a member is to be a member of a uh, to be a member of city church is to be a member of a life group um, and there's something else I want to talk about this uh, something we call family responsibilities uh, when you guys grow up it might be called chores we like to call it a little bit more positive term family responsibilities uh, because we are church family there there are things that we have we, we do like the Bible commands us to, to bear with one another's burdens, to serve one another, to love one another, to sacrifice one another. Those are things that the Bible calls us as families that those are responsibilities we have for one another. And even some practically sense of like when we, when we have our monthly um, gathering on Sundays. Like it takes us, like we as a church family are hosting our city together. So it's everyone pitching in to do that together. It's not just a, I'm here to show up as a spectator, good luck, you know. Um, so it's it's always very much like, we want to make sure we understand that we're doing this together as a church family and not, uh, we, I'll leave that to the professionals, if that makes sense. Um, any questions on that? I know we're kind of just blitzing through a lot of things, but I want to also slow down a little bit if, if anything's kind of unclear. So one, one last little bit, kind of how the member, how leadership and membership work uh, in, in tandem with one another. Um, what me and Kent see when we look at Ephesians four twelve through sixteen, um, our role as leaders of the church is to equip the church family. Um, the way the Ephesians will equip the saints. Um, our, our job is not to do everything. Our job, our, our, we're not professional Christians, and everyone kicks back and watches do things. Our job is actually to equip you guys as missionaries, as followers of Jesus, and send you guys out into Knoxville. Um, so a good example you came up with that like yeah, so the way we describe it to people a lot is um, <coughs> I feel like the average American uh, shows up to a church service on Sunday and it's like they see themselves as the fans and they're observing the professionals, the music pastor, the teaching pastor, they're watching them in the game and then you can even tell it because a lot of times they'll go out to lunch later and they'll talk about what they liked and didn't like, they'll do the whole Monday morning quarterbacking thing, right? Um, and that's how people a lot of times think, is that the, the pastors are the players and I'm the spectator. We actually flip that around altogether. So what we think it means when Ephesians says that pastors, the leaders of the church, are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, that means that Jeff and I are really more like coaches. You guys are the players going through your life as everyday missionaries, which we'll talk more about next week. And really, it's our job. Now, the, the difference is we're kind of like player coach, coaches because we're called to be missionaries too. Yeah. But if anything, we are the coaches 
helping you guys play the game. Does that make sense? Brian disagrees. Something explosive. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it, 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 does that kind of help a little bit? That's that's kind of how we try to think about church. It's our job to equip you guys to do the work of ministry. It's not that we're doing the work of ministry. It's that we're we're helping you guys. Do it.